take out your Bible this morning and turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, and when you find it, you can find chapter 2. I'll join you there in just a moment. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We've been working uh, really in a series through the Gospel of Luke. Are you excited? This is where we're going to be in 2024, uh, making our way through the entire Gospel story by story as Luke is unfolding it for us in the series we're calling A Story of Salvation. Well, we're just coming through the holiday season, and I'm sure you and your family have at least some sort of tradition that you enjoyed together. Many families do all sorts of things at the holidays, and one of the family favorites for for many families is to gather together in the living room with a big bowl of popcorn and watch a Christmas classic, right? Watch a a Christmas movie. How many of you watched at least one Christmas movie this year? Can I see your hand? How many? Oh, wow. Great. So, So we've all watched some Christmas movies and some Christmas classics. And there is a Christmas classic that I have noticed the last number of years that shows pretty frequently on cable around the time of the holidays. Uh, You can stream it. It is the Christmas family comedy, Home Alone. Home Alone. The movie was released in, you say that's not a classic. It's been over 30 years almost, all right? It was released in 1990, right? Uh, It's been around a while. It's still showing. And that Christmas classic of Home Alone uh, is a story, if you hadn't seen it, of the McAllister family. And the McAllister family is a rather large family, and they are about to take an extended uh, vacation over the holidays to Paris. And they discover just a little too late that they had left their youngest child, Kevin, behind. And, and, and you really have to think about it. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's a super fun, exciting movie. It's this slapstick comedy. And, but you really have to ask yourself the question, how in the world can a family uh, pack, leave the house, travel to the airport, board a plane, travel halfway, midway across the Atlantic, only then to re- find out that their child has gone missing? But yet some of you who are parents here this morning, you can relate to that, Right? Uh, Because although you may not have had the event of the McAllisters, some of you as parents know that overwhelming sense of fear that overwhelms you as either you're in a grocery store or around the house and your son or daughter somewhere that you had placed them or the last place you had seen them or where you thought they were going to be, you turn the corner and you discover they're what? They're gone. And how many of you ever had that happen to you? Oh man, it's already happened to me. And I tell you what, that, that, that overwhelming sense of fear that just kind of crawls up in your throat as you, you, you realize that you, uh, uh, they're gone, right? And, 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 and in fact, I find great comfort this morning as we turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke because we need not turn farther in our Bibles than to Luke chapter 2 to find an anxious couple that did just that. We find Mary and Joseph anxiously and frantically searching high and low for three days because after all, they had taken off from Jerusalem, made it about a day's journey, and then found out that they were both without God's Son. (laughs) Now, I want you to think about that. I mean, that's not really the kind of thing you want to do. And especially when you've been entrusted with God's one and only beloved son and you left him in Jerusalem. 
I mean, that's where Mary and Joseph find themselves. They, they have left, they have literally misplaced Jesus. They, they do not know where he is. And it is from this passage this morning that we discover something about who Jesus is. We discover uh, something about who he is in his person. So I want you to stand with me this morning as we read Luke chapter 2. We're going to conclude the chapter this morning, beginning in verse 39. The Bible says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. When the feast was ended... As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. For after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding of his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he, that is Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Father, we ask this morning that your spirit would be our teacher. We ask that your spirit would illuminate our eyes to your truth. And we ask that, Lord, this morning what you have said to us in this passage that speaks into our life even today, that, Lord, you would show us that, you would reveal it to us, and we pray that, Lord, it would be something that would grow us and, and, and challenge us uh, even in the week to come. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I find it interesting in the story that, that we read of this short little phrase that, in fact, is rather quite profound. I want you to look down in your Bible at verse 40, and I want you to notice the first four words of verse 40, and they seem, at first glance as you read these first four words, they they seem rather obvious, but really the more that you read and the more that you think about, it is truly mysterious to consider that the Bible says in verse 40, and the child, what's the next word? Grew. The Bible says that Jesus, what? Jesus grew. Now, now at first we're reading that and we're like, oh yeah, of course Jesus grew. He was a baby and then he makes it to, you know, around 30 years of old age when he begins his public ministry. Uh, certainly he had to grow. But then we think about it on a, maybe a far deeper level and we think about this, how is it that Jesus, the Son of God, grows? You see, this passage is really bookend with two stories and there is this major gap between both of those events. In fact, the passage right before what we read this morning is the passage we looked at last week where Jesus is being presented in the temple. 
He's, he's around six weeks old. It was custom that around 40 days from birth, you would come and present the child in the temple. And so uh, the passage right before us, Jesus is maybe close to six weeks old. Then today we read he is 12 years old. And then the very next passage immediately after this account is Jesus presenting himself to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And he, at that moment, is launching out into his public ministry as a 30-year-old man. And so we see here Jesus in infancy. We see Jesus in ministry. But yet between these two events of Christ's infancy and his ministry, we read of this one event from the life of Jesus as a teenage boy. And there's all this gap of time on either side of the story. And in fact, as we've come to our Bibles, to the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke is one writer of the New Testament who gives us more details concerning Christ's early childhood than any other New Testament writer. So you would assume that if there was more to be told to us about Christ in his early years, Luke would have recorded it. Yet Luke doesn't tell us anything about the Magi. Luke doesn't tell us anything of the flight to Egypt. Yet he only records this one account really from the childhood of Jesus, and that is him in the temple. And you see, you're asking the question that I've been asking all week as I've been preparing. Why is that? Why is that? Why, why out of all the things that could be said about the life of Christ, why out of all the stories that could be talked about of Jesus as a teenager, do we find this one story of Jesus here in the temple that day? Really, this story is bookend by two verses that fill in the gaps in both of those timelines. The first is in verse 40. The Bible says, after Jesus was presented in the temple, notice with me, verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So Luke's telling us some things. Jesus grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then after this story that we're going to look at this morning, we find that before Jesus is presented to be baptized in that gap of time, we've noticed verse 52. Look at your Bible at verse 52. The other bookend. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. You notice both of these bookends are telling us something about the life of Christ, specifically in his childhood, and that is that phrase in verse 40, that the child grew. You say, how did Jesus grow? Notice in these four ways in verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in his understanding. Jesus grew in his comprehension of, of things. Jesus, notice, secondly, grew in stature. He, he was a baby, and then he grew, and then he started growing. And Jesus, every year at his birthday, was taller and taller and taller. And then we, we find that he grew in favor with God. And he grew in favor with man. Now, if you're like me, as I studied the passage this week, here's the thing. I really don't have a hard difficulty picturing Jesus Christ coming in infancy as a baby. I think we're really familiar with that. I mean, all of the stories surrounding the nativity. Uh, how, many, how many of you are with me? You're like, I get it. I, I, I mean, I don't get it. It's a mystery to me, the incarnation. But I can picture Jesus Christ in infancy. How many of you can be there with me? Yeah. 
And then we're really familiar with Jesus Christ in ministry, right? We're, we're, we're familiar with Jesus as he goes and makes that public declaration as John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so we know, we, we see Christ in his public ministry and as he's teaching and doing all of these miracles and, and we can comprehend that, right? We can understand that. But, but, but the part that's really caused me a lot of questioning this week is this story Because here in the passage, Jesus is not an infant. Jesus isn't in ministry. Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. You say, why is that challenging? Because some of you have 12-year-old boys. Some of y'all work in middle school ministry. Some of you were 12-year-old boys. And it is for all those reasons that I find this passage all the more challenging. Right? Because we're really in this passage confronted with both the divinity and the humanity of Christ. I mean, there's something about the divinity of Christ that we're going to see in just a minute as he's in the temple and what he's doing there. But, but just the reality of Jesus growing and the reality of who he was, that, that here Jesus is God. Jesus is no less God the Son in the temple as a 12-year-old boy than when he was in a manger, than when he is on the cross, than when he is co-equal with God for all eternity, right? So, so Jesus Christ is God, and yet the Bible makes this phrase that the child grew. Well, how did the story begin? Notice verse 41. Here's how the story starts. Verse 41. Now, the parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, the Bible says they went up according to the custom. So here's Jesus growing up in the ancient city of Nazareth. If you remember, Nazareth was one of those places that the Bible says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was kind of like the dump of the region. And here's Jesus growing up in this town of Nazareth. And they're going to make their way to Jerusalem for the feast, for Passover. And so the Bible tells us that it was custom that, Mary, that, that Joseph had gone up. In fact, Mary had gone up. But, but this year, it was something different. Jesus is now going, or maybe he had gone every year. We're not told. But he makes this trip 80 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So in in our way of thinking, that's like three to four day journey. And so Mary and Joseph and the family, and you got to understand in Bible times, when you go to Passover, that was the thing. Like, that was the thing that every Jewish person went to. And so here is Jesus and his family, and they're making this trip from the outskirts of the villages, and they're going all the way to the city of Jerusalem. And more than likely, they're in a caravan. I mean, they got friends and relatives and even people in their community are just all getting together. They're making this massive caravan to go like this three to four day journey there to the city of Jerusalem. And I mean, this would have been a huge ordeal. And this would have been the the talk of everything. And so, you know, just weeks before they were going, Jesus is asking questions, you know, like, hey, what is it we're going to do again? And Mary's like, well, we're going to Jerusalem. Yeah, but why, why are we going? And, and Mary would say, well, we're going for the feast and for the Passover. And so, so as they go and they make their way, they arrive, the Passover happens. And then the story in our Bibles picks up as these pilgrims are leaving to go back to their home. And the common practice of the day was that in these large caravans that the women and children would often be in the front and the men and the young boys would be, or the young men would be in the back. And since Jesus here is 12 years old, really, he could have kind of gone either way, you know? 
And, and, and so what do we discover in the story? The, the, the caravan takes off. Mary and Joseph are on their way. And Mary's up in the front of the caravan. And she's just kind of, you know, looking around and wondering, where is Jesus? And so she said, well, he, he must be back with Joseph and the guys. I'm sure that's where he's at. And Joseph, you know, they're heading out and he's having his conversations. And he's like, oh, Jesus is with his mom. He's always with his mom. He's with his mom today. And the Bible says they get like a day's journey and they get to where they're going to spend the night and the whole caravan stops, everybody unloads, everybody's huddling up with their family for dinner and they're gathering around the fire that night and Mary and Joseph finally bump into one another and there's that gasp from Mary of, where's Jesus, right? And Joseph's like, I thought he was with you. And she's like, no, I thought he was with you. And Joseph's like, no, 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 he wasn't with me. He's always with you. And you know, so they're just kind of going back and forth. But that doesn't really fix the problem. Because the problem is Jesus isn't there. It's just, it's just like, you know, the story of home alone. Except for this time, Jesus isn't home alone. Jesus is at home in his home, in the temple, right? And so yet, what do they do? Mary and Joseph, they... Now, here's where Bible scholars, you know, some people say they spent the night and then they just knew first light of first day they're going to have to make the trip again. I don't know how many of you are parents. I don't know if I'm spending the night and waking up the next day to go find my kid. How many of you are like, we're going to go find the kid? Can I see your hand? Yeah, so Mary and Joseph, they leave, they go back, and a whole day's journey. So I think they're traveling through the night. They're, they're there in the morning. They get to Jerusalem, and I mean, they take a whole day out. They go a whole day back. That's two days. Now the Bible says it's on the third day. So they've spent a whole day looking around the city of Jerusalem for their son. I mean, they're going everywhere. They're going to all of the places where they went over the weekend. They're, they're, they're going to all the spots that, that maybe Jesus had talked about. And then the Bible says, notice what happens, verse 45, and when they did not find him, they, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. In verse 46, after three days, they found him where? Where did they find him? Someone tell me. They found him in the temple. Uh, they found Jesus in the temple. And the Bible says that he was sitting among the teachers and he was listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. So, I mean, what happens? They show up in the temple court. Mary and Joseph are there, and they see all the religious leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They're all gathered together. And you've got to understand, like back in that day, if, if you wanted to brush shoulders with the theologians of the world, uh, you didn't just go on to Google, right? You, you gathered at Jerusalem. And so here, you, you, you came to the place where all of these religious people were at. And so there were teachers that Jesus wasn't hearing in Nazareth, but he's hearing them here in the heart of Jerusalem, which is really the city of God. And as, as Jesus is there, he's, he's just taking it all in. But Jesus, we discover in these verses, he's not listening. I mean, he is listening, but what is he also doing? He was, he was listening to them and what? Asking questions. So like this was the form of teaching in that day. What would happen is these pupils would come before a, a rabbi or a teacher and they would ask a question and the rabbi would then give the answer, but then the rabbi would question the pupil about what they had just asked about to see if they really comprehended 
what was being said. And so notice, Mary and Joseph are just astonished. For one, they find him. But secondly, where do they find him? They find Jesus there, and he's right there with the teachers of the law. And so in verse 48, the Bible says his parents saw him, and they were what? Astonished, right? Now, what are they astonished? I'm not sure they're astonished that they find him here as much as they're astonished of where he's at. Notice the Bible says his mother said unto him, son, I mean, you can just, here's mom. (laughs) Mom's just coming in strong. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Like Mary's giving him the one-two right here, you know? Where have you been? And what does Jesus say? Verse 49. He said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's what? Now, how many of you have a King James Bible? I like the King James translation. There's a little uh, vagueness in whether Jesus is talking about the house or what the house represents. And I kind of feel that Jesus is here in this passage uh, really not talking about the place, but uh, I think in the King James, it's that wish ye not that I must be about my father's, what? Business. I, I think I like that translation more than the English translation because, because I don't think Jesus is just saying, I, I, why, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I must be here? I think what Jesus is saying to Mary and Joseph is a little deeper than that. He says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Like, 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 I think right here, you see this in this event, this, this self-awareness in the life of Christ that Jesus understands that he is God's son. Uh, you know, and, and you have to ask the question, right? When did he know it? And how did he know it? You know, I think some of us in this room have really fanciful ideas about Jesus Christ. Uh, some of you just have way far off thinking in terms of who Jesus was as a boy. Some of you think that Jesus never cried. Some of you think that Jesus was always obedient in every way, uh, that that Jesus never did anything mischievous. Some some of you think, you know, it's that idea that that if Jesus was to shoot a basketball, he'd always swish it. If he was going to putt it, he'd always ace it. Was that who Jesus was? Like, could Jesus just get out and run a six-minute mile because he was Jesus? I think many of us have that idea of Jesus. Like we have this idea of the humanity of Christ and we're like, whoa, I don't think that's who Jesus, really, you look at the scriptures and what do you discover that, that there was, Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God. He grew in favor with man. There's, there's, there's not this impression that I see like in some of the fanciful apocrypha literature, you know, they'll talk about Jesus and his upbringing, and so Jesus is out there making mud pies, and he's bored, and so he, he turns these mud pies into birds because he wants a pet. Like, that's not at all who Jesus is, right? But yet some of us, that's who we think Jesus is. Like, like, like we think Christ in his earthly ministry was, was you know, I mean, it was, it, was, it was all of that. And yet here we come to this story and I find here in this passage this real self-awareness on the heart of Christ that Jesus understands of who he is. He, he understands that he is fully God and fully man. 
Jesus said in verse 49, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jews didn't use the word father to describe God. And yet here, even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus is showing us something that he's gonna teach on a scene far later about him being the son of God. Jesus knows at this moment that he is God's son. Jesus knows at this moment as a 12-year-old boy that he has a purpose of what he has come to do. And Jesus is saying to Mary and Joseph, really what he's saying is, hey, do you not know who I am? Do you not realize what I came to do? Do you not know why I'm here? Now, come on, mom and dad. How many of you as a 12-year-old boy, your son's saying that to you? You know what Mary and Joseph did? The Bible says in verse 50, they did not understand. (laughs) They didn't get it. I think Mary's a little exasperated at this moment. She's been spending three days looking for Christ. Uh, She doesn't get it. Verse 51, what do they do? She says, hey, Jesus, we're leaving. You're coming with us. So what does Jesus do? He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was, what's the next three words? And was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I mean, we just see in the life of Mary, right, as the story's evolving, all of these snapshot moments in Jesus's early years and the childhood years where Mary just can't somehow picture all this. There, she just can't somehow put it all together. Here is Jesus fully aware of who he is and the mission of God that he was sent to do, and yet she's grappling with understanding what that means. And here's what I find so helpful for us this morning. As we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, do you know what we discover? We discover that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and Jesus has this self-awareness as a 12-year-old boy of what he was sent to do. Jesus says, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And Jesus lived his life calculated and, and focused and obedient, the Bible says, to his father. And in this passage, we see he was submissive to his parents. I mean, we see really Jesus obeying perfectly in all of these moments as this 12-year-old boy. And, and really, I, I thought about me. I thought about kids I've been with who are 12 years old. Uh, man, all the challenges, all the struggles, all the things that a 12-year-old kid faces. And yet Jesus did what we could not do. In fact, he did what we do not do. And the Bible says he did all of that perfectly. The Bible here in this passage, he, he comes to know that he must be about his father's business. What was the will of the father? The will of the father in eternity was that God would send his son and that Jesus willingly comes. He, he willingly comes. He, he gives his life, the Bible says, as a ransom for many. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus does all of this in obedience to the Father and Jesus comes and he gives up his life on a cross and at the end of of that time of excruciating pain and torment, Jesus cries out, it is finished. What is he saying? He's saying on his lips what he said as a 12-year-old boy in the temple. Like he, he came to do his father's business. Jesus was obedient in every point, the Bible says, to the death on the cross. And as Jesus Christ gave his life 
for mankind. And he says it is finished. What Jesus is declaring is that he had been faithful to perfectly obey the Father in every point. And Jesus comes and, and as he gives his life, he, he says, it is finished. Now, what is all of this saying? All of this really challenges us when we think about who Jesus is because the Bible teaches, and here's a, really a core doctrine of your faith. You know, some of us want to reserve doctrine for someone else. Let me just tell you this. Doctrine is what your faith is built on. So if your faith is not built on truth, if your faith is not built on doctrinal truth and understanding, then, then, then your faith, the Bible says, you're like a, a wave of the sea. You're just knocked over in whatever way. And the doctrine that we come out and we really brush up against in this passage is the doctrine of the deity of Christ. How is Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, fully God and fully man? And I'm not here to have a doctrines class today. I already see some of your eyes and you're like, oh no. But I want you to just understand two things here. We're going to go all the way back in church history to the Council of Chalcedon back in like the 5th century where the church declared what the deed of Christ means. And here's what they said. And rather than saying what it is, they said what it isn't. So really they declared um, that it's really not these two things. There were two heresies that were coming up in the church. One heresy is that Jesus's humanity and Jesus's divinity were mixed together and they had become really one nature. But the church was questioning that because they were saying, wait, that, that can't be because Jesus's divine nature would trump out his human nature or the human nature trump out his divine nature, right? And yet there was another heresy in the church and that was Jesus's totally distinctly two natures. Like, and, and yet they're totally completely separate, almost like in two separate people. And what the church basically said is that in Jesus's humanity, there's not a mixing together of his two natures. And there is not this hard division or separation, but that Jesus, here's how they said it, Jesus is truly God and truly man. Jesus is truly God and truly man. And that each nature retains its own attributes. You say, why does all that matter, Pastor? Because if Jesus wasn't the God-man, then what Jesus did on the cross is of no significance to you. But because he is the God-man, and because Jesus, as the word comes in obedience to the Father, and because he takes upon himself flesh and blood, and because Jesus Christ grew, the Bible says he was tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin. That's pretty amazing. That Jesus Christ faced every temptation that you've already to this day faced in your life, and Jesus passed it in flying colors. Why? Because he was the God-man. He was God but he took on flesh and he can sympathize, the Bible says, in your weakness. So what does all that matter? You say, this is a great story, but what does it mean for me? Here's what it means for me. Because Jesus Christ has endured everything, the Bible says he's been tempted in every point as we are yet without sin. The Bible says, therefore, you have a high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So run to him. When you're in a season in life where you feel tempted, run to Christ. When you're in a season in life, my friend, where you feel that life is just beating you down and it's so hard and so difficult in those moments, run to Christ. When, when, when you're in a season in life where, where you're questioning things and you're just not certain about things, just think to Christ and his humanity and his life and, and his upbringing and all the things that Jesus faced and yet he did so without sin. Jesus did so in confidence and fulfilling the will of the Father. So, so, so here's what it means for you and I today. It means that you and I have one, a great high priest who in every point understands our weakness. And so the Bible clearly says, so run to him, run to him. Why? Because before that throne of grace, before this great, awesome, glorious God, we are able to find grace and help in time of need. How many of you need some help this morning? How many of you need some help? Run to him. Run to Christ. Here's the question. I just want to be really honest and pastoral with you this morning. Why, why is it that we don't run to Jesus as often as we should? Talk to me. Our what, Gary? Our pride. Yeah, we think we can do it. You can't. But he can. What other things keep us from running to Christ? Our pride? What else? Talk to me. Our what? We're, we're, we feel unworthy of it? What else? Our shame? Right? We feel, we feel like our shame keeps us from him. What, what, what other things? Oh, yeah, well, this is so small. God, God's dealing with big problems. This is not a big problem. But here's the thing. To you, it's a biggie. It may not be a biggie to me, but it's a biggie to you. And if it's a biggie to you, then it's a biggie to him. Because the Bible says he's your child. Like this, this story is just so filled with all these things that we see these glimmers of what Jesus is going to teach, that, that, that we have a father, that we have a great high priest. We have all of these things, and it's Jesus coming into the temple to do for us what you and I could not do for ourselves. And all of those things that we would put before us and say, God, I, 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 I'm fearful. God, I'm, I'm shamed. God, I'm, I'm, I, I have too much pride all, all of that, God wants us to, it's what we were talking about this morning, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to come before him with a clean heart and clean hands. And the Bible says you'll receive a what from the Lord? A blessing. I just want to tell you this morning, God's heart, you know what God's heart and God's disposition for you this morning is? He loves you. And the Bible says he's given his spirit and his spirit is for you. And there is nothing in all of life that can separate you from the love of God. All because of what Jesus has done. So this morning, when you look at Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, I want you to see a 12-year-old boy who in his humanity understood weakness and limitations. But as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus did what all of us 12-year-old boys didn't. And Jesus was faithful and obedient in everything. And so he's our new example. He is our example. He is the one we look to and run to. And I pray you'll do that today. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning for every person in this room that as we look at you in the Bible, we would not see you as somehow far removed from our 
story. But that, Lord, we would look at the Bible and see you as fully acquainted, as you say, in all of our ways. That you know what it is like to feel loss. You know what it is like to be tempted. You know what it is like, Lord, to feel um, overwhelmed. Lord, you know our weakness, and yet, Lord, you have overcome. And today, you have given us your spirit so that we can be overcomers. And I pray right now, Lord, for the person in this room that has been so beat down in life this week, that they today would look to Jesus and see you as all-sufficient and see your strength as strength to overcome. And that, Lord, this morning, they would rise up, not in fear, not in shame, but they'd rise up with hope because, Lord, you're a God who is full of grace and mercy, and you promise to help in our weakness. And so we give you all praise and glory for that. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. Stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to invite you right here, heads bowed, eyes closed. Come, kneel before the Lord. Kneel there in your seat. Find a moment to examine your heart before God and ask the question, have I been running to Christ this week? In, in, in that, whatever, whatever is the biggie for you this week, in that, have I been running to Christ first, all sufficient? Because I believe he is the one that I need. If you're not running to him, but you've been running to something else, my friend, this morning I invite you to confess that sin, to find freedom in God again, and allow the Spirit of God to infuse new strength, new hope, new grace in your life today. What a beautiful message and song and an even deeper reality for those of us who are in Christ that God has welcomed us in Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope you'll have a great week. I hope that you take what God has given us this morning and that in your life, in your highs and lows and struggles, in anything this week, that you would run to Christ and find Jesus all-sufficient.